0: Yeah, I'm here. Cool. How's it going? Yeah, not too bad, man. Um, I've been pretty sick all week. I thought I was getting over it the other day, and I um, <clears throat> I ran like 15 kilometers that day. Um, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. And then I started getting ill again.
1: <laughs> That's how it works, man. I mean, I still stand by my idea that you, know, yeah. you only have so much so much strength and then if you're running when you're healed, you'll get ill more well i y- think so yeah I've i'm got... not sure if there is actual proof to that but it kind of makes sense to me um of course it makes
0: sense that it's possible to easily overdo it yeah um but it also makes sense that being active Makes the body generally work better. So, I mean, there's a there's there's gonna be it some sort a little, of because, off. like, you know, if you think about you know the
1: organisms that the animals that get sick, you know, they usually <laughs> just stay sick, they don't run around.
0: Possibly, um, definitely look. I, I, I don't think there's a um a hard and fast answer, basically. I think it's definitely possible to overdo it, and um, I haven't rested enough is definitely the truth so you know regardless of any specifics of that i haven't rested enough i mean and and i got sick in the first place because i allowed myself to get extremely tired um didn't get enough sleep etc burning the candle at both ends as they say and um you know i'm not really good at taking breaks in general so that's definitely an issue and I mean it's it's generally always work. like I very rarely get sick and I rarely get sick for any period of time and I have always felt that part of that was kind of just getting on with things like yeah getting a bit more rest than usual but at the same time getting on with things but I clearly overdid it this time and I overdid it in other ways as well you know I, I had a um I was feeling a lot better and then I also had a kind of a latish night playing rayman with with jen and actually <laughs> that was the circumstances under which i first was sleep deprived which was when i first started to become ill so yeah look regardless of the um of the specifics rest is very important when you're ill
1: yeah i think i think that's the reason why an organism like when you when you why you don't feel like eating Because if you feel like eating, you have to go and do something about it. And therefore, you will deprive yourself of rest. Yeah, but I I mean, I think the Mm. lack of appetite can be explained by that,
0: I think. Yeah, but I've also found, and again, you know, I haven't gone into the literature on this. This is purely anecdotal. Um, But I've also found that when Mm. I have gone, when I've had that that kind of sickness where um, I have had no appetite when i have made a very strong decision to combat that lack of appetite and force myself to eat that's when i've started getting better you know so sometimes i've been sick for you know days not eating very much not having an appetite and again you know you c- it's there's
1: a there's a, chi- a chicken and egg issue yeah because, because yeah I but it's not about the you know the need to not to not eat it's more about the need to conserve energy so eating eating is beneficial but Going somewhere and hunting for food isn't. Yeah, I get it. So yeah, they were would rather like, <clears throat> we would rather, you know, fast than have you spend energy going around than looking for stuff.
0: For sure. Yeah, I, I totally, I'm not arguing. Uh, <laughs> I completely <clears throat> agree with that. But I also think, as I said, like combating that um, lack of appetite can be a way yeah. to provide more energy and thus... Get better more rapidly, yeah. and so I also yeah, think no, that yeah. sometimes You're, being you active.
1: You obviously need energy; that is obviously true for sure. And
0: being active also generates energy. You get more oxygen.
1: Um, uh, that I somewhat disagree. I, I think I think this it is not necessarily untrue, but I feel like it is somewhat untrue because I feel that. This if, if that was the case, then, you know, animals would get more mobile when they are, or, you know, they wouldn't uh, reduce their mobility once they're ill. But animals, once they're ill, and humans, right, they tend to go into some crevice and sleep it over, kind of.
0: Well, yeah, but there are way more, con- again, I'm not disagreeing with that. I, I completely agree with that, and I agree that conserving energy when you're ill is really important. So we're not arguing about that, but you have to put that into its broader evolutionary context if you're going to start talking about animal behavior if animals are ill and therefore they are not as energetic as you know not as robust not as able to evade detection or escape predators because they're slower they're weaker there's another really strong selection pressure to stay hidden and to to rest which is that you are not, f- <laughs> you know, so anyway, I don't want to get bogged down in this discussion. I'm just saying that it's it's a bit more complicated than the simple, um, you know, you just should rest all the time versus maybe you should be more active. I think that, you know, you need extra rest, but I also think that being active and getting on with things can also be helpful. So, you know, it's like dealing with It's not like this because it's a totally different mechanism. But if you think about pain, um, often favouring, especially if it's chronic pain, excessive favouring of a a limb that's experiencing chronic pain or or it might be your back or whatever it might be, tends to actually prolong the pain and, and increase it. Now, there are limits to this. If you have chronic pain, there's a good sign there's something wrong there, and you don't want to overdo it because you can easily injure yourself. But at the same time, you don't want to be completely inactive. And, you know, personally, with my chronic pain, I find that getting up out of the bed, you know, getting out of bed every morning, you know, I feel really stiff. My back aches pretty much every morning. I have very little energy. But getting out and going, like forcing myself to go for a run when I don't want to, is what enables me to cope with that a lot better. So, yeah, I, d- yeah, I just don't think there's a, a particularly simple answer here. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, fair enough. But I definitely overdid it this time in in more than one way, you know, not just not just in terms of,
1: of having a big well, run. Well, I mean, running run 15K, once you're real, I, I think this is, you know, like, you know, over the limit of just getting oxygen into your body to combat the disease.
0: Yeah. Like I said, definitely, definitely agree. Definitely overdid it, and, <laughs> and, and in other ways as well. Yeah, um, too much mental You know, I'm not good at switching off, uh, and that's you know why I need to to meditate and and things like that because I can't. Otherwise, I'm I'm engaging with some concept. I'm I'm studying. You know, I'm
1: reading or I'm uh, watching lectures. Like when I'm when I'm little, like here, I'm just you know. And, like, with flu or something, right? I just shut down. Like, I can't, like, you know, thinking think in general will bring me, like, you know, severe migraines. I'll be, like, you know, avoiding that. I'll be sleeping so that I don't do that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, f- I force myself to, I suppose, or or at least I'm not, you know, I feel really antsy and listless. So, yeah, I would have to be asleep um, if I don't do that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying that this is good or bad or, or whatever. It's just the way I am. And, and now I- you can play Raymond. Yeah, or playing. No, you can. <laughs> yeah, but that that's turned out to be, um, and Witcher is the same, to be honest, because I've been in this really challenging quest. Um, that <laughs> kind of, um, you know, really intense. Uh, you know, you really need quite intense focus to get through some of those things. Yeah. And the other issue that I have, which is is yeah. related, but you know, and not unique to me, but an issue that I have is that when I'm really concentrating. And it's the same when I'm talking a lot. It's the same when I'm playing guitar. You know, I don't breathe well. And that's a real problem. That makes me really, really tired. So, you know, there's a... Yeah, not, of, be, not breathing well will make you very tired, yeah. so, I guess. So there's a complex suite of um, of issues there. And, yeah, it all sort yeah. of sums up to the fact that, yeah, I should take more of a break. Stay alive,
1: stay alive, man. Yes, because if you're, if you're continuing... <laughs> Not if you continue. But if you're not breathing well, your body may decide, well, you know, I'm a detriment to human population. I can just now like go and die. Yeah, like, well so I don't unhappy.
0: I don't buy into that kind of group selective um explanation of that. But you don't think Oh that's
1: that, I mean well, actually that would be interesting, why not? So you don't like I've sent you a link to Phenoptos, you probably yeah, you haven't I don't think you have seen it. Yeah, I've um, seen it. I know what it uh, is anyway, yeah. So you don't you don't bind to Phenoptosis.
0: <clears throat> I think it's a little bit more complicated than the
1: that model makes it out to be. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, sp- yeah, it's, it's makes it really really simple, right? It's just, it just he just says that basically <clears throat> I mean not really simple, but somewhat simple. That at a certain point the uh, organism will induce oxidative stress via mitochondria and then if uh, will like it will die in order to uh free the space for the for the young guns yeah so there's a but... there's an alternate
0: explanation from which would be more in line with um this doesn't make it you know more true but more in line with with mainstream evolutionary biology of of the day which would suggest that there's no strong selection after that point on uh, that organism staying alive because it's it's done its bit for its yeah, own genes, but it, you know. So you can still reduce that entire um, phenomenon to selection at the level of the gene without making it a group selective effect. And I think
1: yeah, fair enough. I mean, let's. With, I mean, we. It's hard to not to get into group selection with this one, but I mean, let's try not to get into the group selection in general. So, but not, like, I'm you know, not, if not. we get if we take salmon, right? Salmon dies after spawning. And it's yeah. the programmed to death. Yeah. So, we know, we know that because if we remove, you know, adrenal glands, then it will continue living on. So, there is a cascade that gets employed after it spawns and then it dies out, dies off. Sure. So, but the question is, obviously you no know, selection can't can't act on the salmon. After the spawning, that's the whole point, yeah, right? Exactly. But then, some, somehow, it does. And mm. to be fair, I mean, just like you know, before we get into this, uh, just from my perspective, it makes uh, philosophical uh, sense because it's like you know, it's basically like you know, Bayesian search for the whatever just the to... most uh, effective forms. So, you have your phenotypic space. Yeah. And uh, you need to have generations in order to explore it to the, to the better way. Because if you get stuck in the one particular spot, you're not moving, right? Mm. If you're uh, embodying, which you, all of us are, embodying a, a finite number of specific traits, yeah. then you can't you know, transcend them. So only your offsprings can transcend them. Only your offsprings can become something different to you. You can't. So you we in order to uh, find the uh, uh, like optimal uh, place in this in this you know um, environment we need to uh, move in generations so that kind of makes sense as the niche exploration sure. you know sure. like,
0: but th- yeah so absolutely and um there are lots of strategies which are going to be selected for on the basis of getting more of your genetic material into the next generation that will involve a kind of of burnout if you want as well. So you look at Antichinus, um, these you know little insectivorous marsupials, and the males get so you know worked up basically during the, the breeding season their levels of testosterone reach toxically high levels, and that compromises their immune system. And because during the period of of mating and extremely elevated testosterone, they get into a lot of fights with other males, unsurprisingly, you know, they're popped up on testosterone and they're looking for females, Um, they end up kind of dying of of lots of small wounds and things like that because their immune system is compromised. So what you can quite easily rationalise that. But is the fact that having those really really high levels of testosterone, like having a big kind of flash in the pan where you run around at top speed and you 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 know you're, you're equipped to battle other males, you're finding as many females as possible impregnating as many females as possible, is the best strategy for getting the most of your genetic material into the next generation. It also so happens that because you're you're running so hot so to speak uh, you end up burning out and your immune system fails and you die and a, a lot of these examples are like that they're they're basically investment examples yeah. you can also think about um, and I, I forget the the proper terms but females who have um, you know large numbers of very small offspring that you know they're just like type a and type B or whatever right um that have large numbers yeah, of like very
1: small offspring
0: yeah exactly um or or a single or low number of very you know well developed and large offspring and it's the same kind of thing it, it's it's a cost benefit analysis and in some cases the the that cost benefit analysis will result in the the organism not surviving beyond that flurry of mating activity but that's not necess- That doesn't necessarily imply. Yeah, that doesn't necessarily make it a
1: predetermined, program. That mm. makes it more like a, a consequence of yeah. the other, uh, like other strategy that makes your, you know, altogether mm. uh, spreading of your genes yeah. been like more effective. But, um, like. Okay, let's put it the question another way. Would you argue then that the that death is uh, intrinsically evolutionary, and that immortality is intrinsically counter evolutionary? So would you would you argue with this?
0: Um, I think that death is an intrinsic part of the way evolution operates in biological systems. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: So, like, you know, if you, you like, it's not <laughs> impossible to evolve immortality. Like, you can evolve immortality because you pretty much can evolve everything, well, right? I think that's, and, that's a different, that's a slightly different question. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's the we, question can't, you, we obviously can't answer this question because we haven't seen, you know, uh, like, we, we can't test it, we can't prove it. But in theory, mm. nothing. Uh, would nothing makes it impossible to be mortal? At least for a cell, mm. like it is well, cancer cells. Like um, huh? Cancer cells. Yeah. yeah well, cancer is, cells. Yeah. You know. So it is. It is possible for a cell, <laughs> at least theoretically, for a cell to live. Uh, you know, almost forever, right? But it prevents it. Uh, that prevents it from adapting. That prevents it from changing. Mm. Because in order to adapt, you have to change, right? And you can only change so much. Uh, without uh, creating offspring. Well, because most of that change
0: <coughs> so, occurs through the germline, not through somatic mutations, yes. Yeah, that's what you're saying. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. continue. And
1: so, I mean, that's why, you know, we have, uh, like, sex is a big thing because it allows you to reshuffle and it allows allows you, your offsprings to be way different than you are, and therefore, you know, it gives them higher chances to be adaptive. It also gives them higher chances to be maladaptive, but, you know, sure. this is but kind of again, there's, uh, there's so. a tricky Again,
0: there's a chicken and egg or, you know, there's a causal hierarchy question here. You know, death is an intrinsic part of the way evolution operates in biological systems, but that, could be, you know, evolution might operate that way in biological systems because death is inevitable. So it's not necessarily the opposite that you're saying that death is kind of programmed,
1: like it's not inevitable. Yeah, I'm not saying it's death is necessarily programmed in each instance. I'm kind of more saying that in some instances death is obviously programmed, like, you know, in sepsis, if -hmm. you get infection, and then you know it spreads out, sure. and you will die because of the septic whatever septic shock I think it's called, mm-hmm. right? So uh, which is not the consequence of, of uh, the disease, is the consequence of the mechanisms in your body that are activated. Sure. And that makes sense because you know you need to isolate a um, you know severely infected. You know, individual from a population uh, but and populations haven't evolved that they died out Can you know, I just, because of the
0: let me just jump in for a second though because again yeah you have to think about your definition of the individual and the population so sepsis works perhaps mostly just on the level of um, infected tissues versus the population which is the organism rather than the organism protecting the population of other organisms from infection it's You know, small parts of the organism are dying to protect the rest of the organism from that infection so that that organism can go on and potentially breed after this. But sometimes that process gets completely out of control. And what's, you know, supposed to be a management of infection by, um, you know, cauterizing the wound, by, by killing off the area in which the infection exists, that just becomes too large the effect of that becomes too large and the whole organism ends up dying there's always a, a different yeah. level of analysis which you can look at this and mm-hmm. I, I just want to say that i'm not i'm not intrinsically against the concept of group selection because i think it's just a level of analysis in some sense and i think it can be a very useful level of analysis yes. and and i think that you know for, for like human cultural evolution and things like that it's it's very hard to avoid going to that level of analysis but It's not always, you know, there are many cases in which people invoke group selection where it wasn't at all necessary to go there. And if you think about the way evolution really, you know, seems to act, um, it makes the group selective uh, interpretations seem to be the less rational or the less explanatory ones in many of those cases.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, man, like, I mean... I, I do. I mean, I don't understand critique against you know group selection, and I do acknowledge that a lot of people in biology uh, say that like, group selection is just bullshit in general. But which I don't, agree you know, with. Yeah, I don't necessarily. But agree I mean, with yeah, it's like I I would yeah I would rather see it as a level of analysis. Yes, and I agree, yeah. in case of you know yeah. sepsis, it's somewhat like you know as a thought experiment. Sure. We can invoke an allele. Uh, whatever, a gene that um, is very you know like makes whatever creates a strict control of the spread of the you know, septic effect, right? Yeah. So it uh, strictly controls the spread out of this, and it doesn't allow it to take over the organism, mm-hmm. right? So we have a population that has that gene, and basically nobody dies there out of you know, septic shock. So when the, an individual in that population gets infected with some severe disease, it then continues to function, and therefore it is more likely to spread the disease towards the population. Sure. And so, in K- there will be you no know, like epidemic, there will will be more likely uh to have an effect. So this population therefore will be more likely to die out uh, because of some you know epidemic. Yeah. So <coughs> even even if you it's it's not that you know other populations have the gene that you know induces the. Uh, death because of sepsis. It's more like genes that prevent that will be selected again. Mm -hmm. That's kind of my thing here.
0: You know, I very much see what you're saying, and it it has to... I mean, the thing about this whole levels of analysis thing is that it somewhat hinges on... It obviously hinges on what you consider an individual versus what you consider a population. (coughs) And for very obvious reasons, we think of, of individual organisms... Uh, as as individuals, um, and we think of, of groups of organisms as as populations. But obviously, if we wind back the evolutionary clock, um, you know, we'll go to a point where, you know, all our cells are descended from, you know, individual, you know, single celled ancestors. And at some point, a, an organism can be viewed as, you know, a multicellular organism is a population of cells. And so then you can you can think about. You know how that affects your group selection arguments. Obviously, there is a key point here, which is that in a um, multicellular organism, in a classic multicellular organism, all cells, different though they may be, are expressions of the same genotype. and that, I guess that's what the the individual as not individual as the level of selection, but gene as the level of selection, and individual as the vehicle of the gene. Um, that's where that idea gets its potency, um, versus you know any other um, level of analysis. So I, I do think the level of of analysis question it, it remains open, and maybe group selection can be useful for looking at certain problems but you're going to have to find ways, and I mean, you know, you've come up with an interesting example, but of transcending this issue of um, of the individual, I suppose
1: I mean, but like as a you know by definition, population will be a closed system of the uh, intermixing genes Mm -hmm. so you have a systemic uh, level there so yes. an individual will be a vehicle for genes, yes. But then you know, population is the um system of those vehicles. So it is a vehicle on its own as well. Yes, yes, it <laughs> is. But, you know,
0: but in, there is heterogeneity of um you know genomic heterogeneity within a population. So there you know there are some genes yeah. that are that are shared between subsets of the population. Other genes that are shared between subsets of the population. Um.
1: Yeah, but you can characterize population A versus population B by the gene pool. Ab- absolutely,
0: yeah. And I think when you get social organisms, um, then you, you get a particularly potent um, mechanism for a kind of, of group selection. And, and obviously, again, that's why I think in, in cultural evolution, when it gets to that level, then it's going to be very hard to avoid the the group selective um, scenario but the scenario that you've brought up with the you know the gene that prevents sepsis is 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 obviously highly speculative because we don't know if such a thing exists or can exist <coughs> uh, so it's a, it's a difficult one you know i don't think it really gets at the the issue of of you know whether group selection outside of cultural evolution is a and of course cultural evolution has a feedback onto biological evolution as we, we've discussed many times. It's a species of biological evolution. But yeah, I don't think your 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 example necessarily gets you know at the issue because you, you have to look at a real phenomenon, something that actually occurs in nature, and, and analyze that to see whether a group selective um, interpretation is more potent at explaining What's going on there than a you know individual based selection, selective interpretation? You can come up with with a toy problem to make group selection sound attractive, but I'm not sure whether that really um, speaks to the problem or not. Anyway, let's not get bogged down in this in this question of of you know group selection and stuff because it's more interesting to talk about death. Group selection, but
1: so back to death. Yes. Right. So uh, we can envision the uh, uh, that uh, the fact that we humans have aging and death yeah. is not uh, like okay you know we have a theory of Skolachov that's oh you know people like him I guess he's not the only one who say that there is a specific mechanism that triggers aging and there is a specific mechanism that triggers death or sure. you know aging or death uh, through the old age is the extension of aging that is yeah. triggered right. But at the same token, we can envision that this is the, um, uh, like, the, um, how to say it? Mm. Basically, that uh, the uh, selective uh, selection that will act on us, not uh, like evolving, you know, continues uh, young age is detrimental for the, you know, because we have to, you um, I mean, for the same reason, right? That we need to have change. Well, That we well, need to generate new new approaches, and that if you you get stuck with the same way of solving problems, right? If you are stuck with the same uh, mindset, with the same set of you know physical skills, you will only get so far, and then uh, not only you will yourself will be selected against at the point as soon as the. Uh, um, Whatever, environment changes, right? As soon as the uh, we go from the ice age to you know, no, nobody's here, and then you die, basically. Yeah. Well, but as, as well that your um, your kids, your children will also be always the same, right? They will be always the extension of you in the first generation, so they won't be as advanced as they could have been. So that would make sense that even if it, that was possible, it would have been selected against at the very early stages of evolution. Like, that makes sense to me.
0: Yeah, no, I think that that does make sense um, philosophically, absolutely. Whether whether it makes sense mechanistically or biologically um, is, is a different question. I mean, there's another reason in social organisms or, or like in humans, if we just want to talk about humans, why aging could be selected for again it's a group selective idea but because our roles change as we age and it's important like it's like the the evolutionary explanation of menopause so women become infertile in later life so the explanation goes whether it's correct or not um so that they are better place to be carers for you know not the next generation but for their grandchildren basically Mm -hmm. um so you know they're no longer motivated by trying to have more children so they put more of their energy into raising their ancestors um so that you know there are lots of ideas of, of of that kind floating around um and, yeah, I do think that that, that there's that, that is, a, is a, a rational idea. Whether or not it's possible, well, we don't know. And, of course, you know, one of the great dreams of, of, of humans has always been not to die. And now we have, you know, the transhumanists or we have various scientists, you know, Aubrey de Grey obviously being most famous amongst them, <coughs> But also, you know, people like Ray Kurzweil, who are very interested in the ideas of people like Aubrey de Grey, who are essentially saying they're not really putting that, that evolutionary argument that you're um, advocating there out necessarily. But they are saying that death is just an engineering problem. It's a design problem. And so they are in a kind of, you know, we talked about intelligent design next week. In an attempt to intelligently design our own species, um, in an attempt to evolve our species, they want to discover the the engineering problem that is death, the engineering the suite of engineering problems that are aging, and to switch them off. And if if that proves to be capable, then questions like the one that you're asking, um. And, of course, it wouldn't have to just be done in humans. It could be done in, in other experimental organisms. If if we found ways of switching off death or switching off senescence, then that would mean that the the question of, of whether death was was not inevitable in the first place but was actually selected for would become a much more interesting scientific question. As it is, it's certainly an interesting philosophical question, but even though I'm very attracted to philosophical questions, I, I see a hard um, I see it as a uh, kind of a hard um, a hard one to form a rational theory around without clear evidence that we can in fact
1: stop aging or stop death. Yeah, fair enough. Even though it makes uh, like. We see that the um, organisms that have higher turnover generations, faster turnover generations, they evolve. Like I mean, they obviously evolve faster, and they adapt adapt to pretty much everything, right? With the bacteria that can, you know, evolve antibiotic resistance really, really fast, and it's like almost impossible to kill a strain of bacteria if you allow them a certain room to mutate and evolve. But that's kind of evidence. To kill humans, or we know whales. But that that actually so,
0: that can easily be taken as evidence against the 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 you know the, the thesis that you're advancing in the sense that it appears as though in the evolutionary exploration of niche space, which has seen you know multicellular organisms and then vertebrates and everything moving away from their you know single celled ancestors, that there's been selection against that kind of extremely rapid turnover of the generations. So, I mean, your argument, your, you know...
1: Yeah, but there are, here, but it, it's, you know, like right now, it's a trade-off of energy. Yeah. You, you need to spend X amount of energy to get to the adult stage. Therefore, you know, your investment has to uh, bring profits. So you need to stay in that um, adult stage for X amount of time before you're able to reproduce, you know, in, in order to make... Kind of, you know, to fulfill your obligations to your energy uh, intake, in a way, right? Sure. So, uh, in this case, that'll be more, you know, a trade-off of turnover of generations versus the energy that you need to build those generations. Mm. But then again, you know, you it's as, as soon as you um, go past the line, when it becomes, um, oh, what's what's the word? Not beneficial, but. <sighs> cost effective. Reasonable, whatever. Yeah, cost effective, right? So as soon as it becomes cost effective, you better die out. So I mean, that's kind of you know what salmons do in a way. That's what you know mantids, mantids do. Sure, well, right? That's what you know. You know heaps uh, of things. the spiders that devour you know, devour their mothers.
0: Absolutely, the same. Right. absolutely. Or the um, you know, the female spiders that devour their mates. I mean, absolutely. That that was <laughs> my my response to phenoptosis in the first place was that um there's a cost benefit analysis and that it can be considerably more efficient um, in terms of level uh, you know selection at the level of the individual for them to die after after reproducing so yeah look i think i think that there there are interesting questions there hold, hold on another like i
1: yeah I, I like another idea that you kind of voiced I, I sort of thought about it before but not exactly in those terms yeah i uh, it's about the um, old uh, generations the, taking care of uh, their grandchildren. I don't think there is much more uh, in the uh, like nature of that phenomenon, because I don't think any other animal would have that. That you have uh, grandparents caring for their grandchildren because usually, you know, the generations just don't survive that long. And if they do, they don't know who their grandchildren are, like, you know, if they're turtles or, you know. Uh, I guess, you know, there yeah. was some. Uh, uh, I, I read an article, I think, about workers doing something similar, but only by, you know, yeah. chance because the mother of the uh, small worker died and then the. Uh, grandmother was taking care of those so so foster but beds, in foster,
0: uh, foster parenting hmm? like kind of foster parenting is very common in social organisms um and you can see it in in lots of, of of there are many different examples and there are even examples amongst organisms that we tend not to think of as particularly social like caimans. there's a phenomenon in the dry season where um you know many females will lead their offspring over land to find, you know, dwindling pools of water. And then when um, they reach those, of course, many, many mothers have brought their offspring there, and there's not space enough for all of Mm. the mothers. So what happens is that all the mothers kind of dump their babies there, and only a small percentage... Um, only a few of the adult female caiman actually stay there and they look after all the babies as if they're, you know, essentially as if they're all their own, whereas the other females just go on and and move off and and survive on their own. But yeah, in in all sorts of social species, in lots of social primates, I think in lions, um, in wolves, you can see multi-generational caregiving where, you know, very old individuals who are still part of the pack or the, the pride or the, the mob or whatever the um, collective noun is will they're still hanging around they're still part of the group and the way they pull their weight so to speak because um, they're probably not great you know maybe they're not as good hunters anymore maybe they still are whatever. They often help looking after, help look after the babies. And then, you know, you can look at things like ducks and stuff like that. I mean, foster parenting is is not uncommon with with some birds as well, some aquatic birds. And then, of course, you get the opposite with some birds where the, the younger generation, um, you know, the middle generation so uh, hangs around for a while before they go off and start their own nest. They stay around and help raise the next generation. So there are lots of examples of something that's kind of similar to a non-reproductive member of the group helping look after the babies of their relatives. I think that's very common in nature. Yeah, fair enough,
1: fair enough. But I guess, I guess, not grandparents though. I mean, to be fair, though, you know, it kind of a uh, it kind of is similar, obviously, but still not grandparents. Well, I think that, like and I, I said, think I... that. I think in humans it, it does uh, become a, like a you know much larger thing, which again I mean it kind of yeah. like I, I don't know whether it makes intrinsic sense or whether you know I can make sense of it, which is obviously different, right? Yeah. And uh, so uh, we, what I think is uh, what what I think makes sense is that we have a, a generation of fathers and mothers that go and hunt or in our case go and do work, right? So they provide for the. Uh, community while you have grandparents who are no longer capable of providing for the community but at the same token they have a lot of you know experience and knowledge that they can pass on and since cultural evolution is a big thing sure. in humans obviously yeah. then the vehicles of that knowledge would be you know uh, valuable absolutely and so it, it kind of makes sense that you you move uh, like there are three phases. That you know, the first phase is when you learn. The second phase is when you do, and the the third phase is when you pass the knowledge onto those who learn. Sure. Like.
0: <clears throat> sure. I, I think that any kind of phenomenon that we see in social organisms more broadly is probably going to be more refined or reach some kind of fever pitch in in humans. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we have all kinds of cultural norms and and, um, institutions that are built around those kinds of things. So strengthening them.
1: True, but, you you know, uh, do we build those institutions because we already have that system in place, or uh, do we have that system in place because we build those institutions? I think that it's because we initially have the system, you know, yeah. Uh, like, all the people caring for the campfire, you know, teaching young young uh, humans how to make bow bows and how to shoot the bows and all that kind of stuff. And uh, then we have the institutions for them.
0: Yeah, obviously. I mean, I, I see. Yeah, of course I see. I'm not, our, our I'm, talking,
1: I'm, not about, I'm not talking about the institutions for them, right? It's not like, you know, semi institutions. Huh. not that yeah. stuff.
0: Yeah, of course. No, of, of course I'm going to agree with you there. Uh, you know, As I said, I, I linked it to all those other examples in Nature, suggesting that it exists on a spectrum with those and that in humans, because of the degree of our social organisation and, of course, because of the fact that we, we think about these things and we think about how to make them better or how to ensure that people live up to their side of the bargain or, or however you want to interpret it, it's going to be more... You know, all of these words are so hierarchical. I was going to say that it's more refined in humans, whatever. It's, it's more pronounced in humans than it's going to be in, in other organisms for all of those, those reasons.